what I find interesting about the, the Colin Kaepernick situation is the fact that the protests, in my opinion, the national anthem protests were dying. They were dying down um, from the time in which from 2016, when Colin Kaepernick during the preseason first sat during the national anthem until now, from that point till now, that it died a little bit, you know, as far as the, the national conversation. Now, I know that in 2017, the ratings uh, were a big factor. I think there was a decline in ratings. There was a decline in attendance. Um, I would imagine it, would, it was amongst different uh, teams that, that varied amongst different teams as far as attendance. I don't know if attendance was down all across the board uh, within the NFL. And I think a lot of people on the NFL side, they panicked. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, in my personal opinion, I know a lot of people who were in favor of the national anthem protests. I know a lot of black folks that were in favor of the national anthem protests. And they talked a lot about uh, the NFL and the um, the owners and being bigots and racists and and that's the reason why they're not in favor of the national and uh, national anthem protests or why they haven't come uh, on the side of the players. I think the vast majority of the people in the NFL are um, you know owners included are very apathetic to the national anthem protests. They don't care one way or the other. They don't care about the message they don't care they don't really care the fact of the matter is these are billionaires it's a multi-billion dollar industry and i think their loyalty lies with whoever's giving them the most money and you know they want to keep that money train going i i don't believe that there's any concerted effort you know on on any of these topics national anthem protests uh concussions I think they just kind of go wherever the wind blows because um, it, whatever may potentially affect their bottom line, they're going to go in favor uh, or, you know, go the opposite route. So do I think that, you know, these people, it's coming from a place, the NFL is coming from a place of, uh, well, you know, we just don't think that, you know, unarmed black people or unarmed people being shot and killed by the police or police accountability is a, um, is not a, a problem. I, I think they, they're not even thinking about it like that because they don't care. It's a business. It's a multi-billion dollar business and it's making the owners and, um, a lot of the people working in the NFL rich. <laughs> so, you know, it, it makes them panic, I suppose, when they look at the ratings in 2017 and they see a decline. Uh, I would argue that, you know, maybe the national anthem protests of 2016 played a role, but I would also argue that, you know, there are a lot of different factors, I think, in, in my humble opinion. I think, you know, it's too much football as well. I don't think that, you know, that's helping things. Um, you know, diluting the product, you know, there's an NFL game on Thursday, there's an NFL game on Monday, there's an NFL game on the NFL games on Sunday, then they're in, you know, later in the season, there are NFL games on Saturday. 
So the the appeal of, you know, when I was younger was that, uh, you know, Sunday was when you watch football. And then, you know, Monday, Monday night, you know, you would have like a, a, a division rivalry game or and that was that. You watch football Sunday, you watch football Monday. So, you know, I think that the dilution of the product and the fact that teams aren't putting out their best product because, you know, you're expecting teams to go play on Sunday and then, uh, you know, turn around, short turnaround. You know, these guys are banging their bodies around and you're expecting these guys to then turn around and go, um, let, you know, you're going to have to travel all the way from to from New York to San Francisco for a Thursday night game to play the San Francisco 49ers. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like how much of the, the product if guys aren't rested and, you know, how much of the product is, is going to turn out well. Like I looked at the, you know, the season last season and I feel I've been feeling like that the last couple seasons where it's like you have a lot of the star players that that get injured. And then it's like you got, you know, backup quarterbacks and, you know, guys that it's just not very fun or appealing to watch. So I think there are a lot of many different factors, but I think the NFL pointed to the fact of, well, you know, we were doing better before the national anthem protests. And now in the wake of the national anthem protests and Colin Kaepernick and they um, now are, our bottom line is starting to get affected. And, you know, we can't have that. But in a weird twist of irony, I believe that the national anthem protests were dying as far as, um, you know, the, the, the conversation. You know, unfortunately, we, we have a precedence of uh, movements being, uh, I don't want to say silence, but movements, you know, being hot in the beginning and then eventually cooling off. I mean, we, we've seen it over and over again. I mean, remember Occupy Wall Street? I, you know, it was shit, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't remember. Occupy Wall Street in 2012 was the big talk of the town. A bunch of young people, many different cities, thousands of young people marching all around trying to address income inequality and the addressing the um, 1%. Yet, you know, you fast forward a, a year later and you, it was out of the, the public consciousness. Now, one could argue that this was made done intentionally, but nothing really came of it. Right? Same goes with the National Anthem protests. I believe that the NFL, what they should have did was, okay, you know, we, we don't want you to protest, you know, because the optics look bad. You know, we don't want you to, you know, um, uh, you know offend a portion of our paying customers, right? Which is the truth. So what can we do to, you know, we can donate money, we can, you know, um, you know uh, donate to a particular organization that addresses uh, police violence or, you know, criminal justice reform. What can we do as the NFL 
to make the situation, um, you know, as a, as a organization or, you know, individual teams coming together and the owners coming together. What can we do to stop the situation? What, what are you guys protesting? What, what can we do to solve the situation to stop this to, you know, so that we can continue, continue rolling? It, there was there was none of that. It was very much like this this you know apath apathetic response, and it was almost authoritarian in nature, where you know it's like we don't really care. It all comes down to the money, and you know we want you to stop because we want to keep the money flowing. Not one time was there any sort of. Um, situation and maybe you know this was done under under closed doors maybe i'm wrong and you have many different teams and you know that wanted to donate money and um maybe i'm wrong but you know as far as in the in the public there there were there were none there was none it was all about silencing the players and finding ways in which they could um potentially penalize players for uh, protesting. So I have no sympathy for the NFL and, and you know, the way that they handled it, I believe, was poor. And I think that, you know, the NBA would have handled it differently. That's just my, my humble opinion. Now... It is always been a, a, it's a few different um, ways, I think, that the, the Colin Kaepernick, the national anthem protests turned out in the last two years. Because I believe it's at this point, it was Colin Kaepernick started sitting in the preseason of 2016. So we're pretty much at the, the two year mark, the two year anniversary mark of when Colin Kaepernick, when the, the national anthem protests became a national wide story. And, you know, and, and other players, um, you know, Eric Reed, a safety for the, for the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, you had other players for the 49ers and other players around the league starting to uh, protest, whether they knelt, whether they Malcolm Jenkins, um, you know, putting his, his fist up during the national anthem, it really became a conversation about what, you know, the, the many different factors, you know, where we are as a society and, you know, just in general, where, where we are, you know, where the public consciousness is in, in this current landscape. Right. So looking back now, seeing, you know, the fact that it's two years, um, you know, since Kaepernick decided to kneel, you know, fast forward now, Kaepernick is out of the league. Uh, I believe the safety that, you know, Reed, Eric Reed, I think he's out of the league. Um, you know, you've had other players that that have knelt um during the national anthem and they're still around and i think that's one of the reasons why uh many people who were not in favor of the protest let's be honest that talked about 
um, well, the protests aren't really a thing and why Colin Kaepernick wasn't um, signed by any team. Why, oh, he's not blackballed. He's just not good enough to play, which was a, a very prominent, uh, pervasive, uh, a very prominent, pervasive uh, talking point among people, even on ESPN and, oh, he's just not good enough to play. <laughs> you know, it, it just sort of became this narrative. And it was a narrative that basically stated that, well, you know, it's not about obviously any, you know, civil person. It's not about the protests. Say, you know, there, there's no there's no way any of our, our sweet dear NFL would would blackball a player uh, for voicing their opinion. There, you know, the team NFL teams don't blackball players. His shit. I mean, it's still a meritocracy. And, you know, hey, if you're good enough to play, you'll play. If you're not good enough to play, you won't play. Which it really isn't. I mean, you know, and the, let's be honest. It's a lot of the NFL, the same way any other industry is. It's about who you like and who you don't like. Let's be honest. Um, to, a certain, to a certain extent. It's, it's you know, players. And, and, um, you know, it's about their, their disposition. You know, there's a reason why a guy like, let's say Des Bryant right now, who, you know, supposedly he met with the Cleveland Browns, but he's still on, um, he's still in street clothes. If you think if Des Bryant wasn't such a head case and he was quiet and, you know, like, uh, like, you know, one of those, like, you know, like a Ladanian Tomlinson or like one of those guys that's like, you know, not saying he Des Bryant's not well-respected, but well-respected amongst NFL circles. Oh, he's very articulate. He's, he's not as explosive. He's not fiery. He's very laid back. Would he still be in street clothes right now? Or, you know, now people are, oh, Des Bryant is old. It's like, no, he's not. Des Bryant is 30. He ain't old. He had a couple injuries. Yeah, he slowed down, but he could still be um, productive. But, you know, a lot of teams, they just don't like his attitude. Has nothing to do with uh, production or, like, talent. So, you know, a lot of people said that. And that was the narrative they ran with. And it was very interesting seeing the fact that um Ka his Kaepernick's numbers even you know the the last year before he wasn't picked up by any team in 2016 were pretty solid numbers all things considered 16 touchdowns four interceptions uh what was he at passer rating of like 80 something um, you know, I mean, these weren't like barn burning numbers, but these were numbers that, you know, at the very least would warrant a, a backup position somewhere. But ultimately he was viewed and I've explained this to people before. The reason why other players who knelt after him or who protested after him during the national anthem weren't necessarily in air quotes blackballed was because Colin Kaepernick was the first one to protest. He was the first one, and he was deemed to be the, the irritator. You know, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for you, 
then this all of this wouldn't have happened. And I think a lot of teams took took it that way and were really truly irritated and frustrated and they're like I'm not even going to deal with it because you know this guy he's a headache. And you know that he's not worth the headache. He was essentially blackballed. But that's what makes the whole situation all the more impressive. He doesn't strike me as a stupid guy. He doesn't strike me as a um as a as a dumb person. So I'm pretty sure he knew that okay, I'm gonna get a lot of blow black blowback, excuse me, and a lot of people are going to not like what I'm gonna do. And ultimately I can potentially this is what's potentially going to happen after the blowback. This is become going to become a national story. And, you know, he basically sacrificed his career to kneel during the national anthem. So... It's all the more impressive. I always say people who decide that they are um, willing to sacrifice something, something that they love, something that that they're making a lot of money doing to sacrifice that for a particular, um, uh, you know, belief or belief system or a a moral, um, you know, um, reasoning, I think is all the more impressive. Even things I don't agree with necessarily from a moral standpoint, I can sit there and say, I respect that. I may disagree with it, but nonetheless, I respect anybody that doesn't have to do something that speaks up on something that they don't have to speak up on and they sacrifice their, their career and they sacrifice, you know, something that is, um, a big part of their lives. It's very easy to to sit behind a computer and hashtag and hashtag activism, but it's very hard to to give up a job that was paying you, you know, eight million dollars a year to to give that up in the prime of your career. Let's let's remember Colin Kaepernick was 29, 28, 29 when he was protesting. You know, as a quarterback, that's the prime, like the prime of your career. All the more impressive, whether you agree, whether you don't agree with his stance or his message, right? Another thing that, you know, looking back now in the, in the wake of, you know, two years now of the Colin Kaepernick protests is, again, the, the vanity of the NFL, it's almost as if, and this was early in the, um, uh, you know, I, this was even before training camp when, you know, there were, uh, I guess, internal memos that were, were released by the NFL in ways, okay, how are we going to address the national anthem protests? How are we going to address the national anthem protests? 
how you know and the the Miami Dolphins I think released an inter an internal uh, memo was um released and this was I I think uh it was um leaked I don't think they meant to release it where there were you know sort of like these bylaws put into place and you know how they would handle you know it, from a, a punishment standpoint <sighs> bad mistake because all it did was it became a, a, a hot button topic all over again and of course Donald Trump got on Twitter and before you knew it it almost felt like it was 2016 again when Kaepernick first knelt during or sat during the national anthem. Instead of just letting it die, instead of going to the uh, players union and, you know, with a conciliatory effort, it now it became, a, a you know, well, you do as I tell you to do. It became a, you know, a dictatorial um, authoritarian stance where, well, you know, it, it, it before the NFL was uh, supposedly, uh, you know, impartial, so to speak, then it, it, the, the, the way that it looked was, was that, you know, we are against the protests and, you know, we, it's not even like we're impartial anymore. We're just straight up against it. And if we got to punish players and we got to, seek impunity on players that's what we're going to have to do and i thought that that was the, the wrong approach cuz now you're just you're daring players like oh well, oh you're going to punish us now oh you're 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 um advocating for punishment for us okay let's see let's see how uh, the the product. Let's see what the product will look like without uh, a lot of these black athletes, a lot of these these um, top players. Let's see how the product looks. That's the thing that always killed me as well. One of the the key talking points, and I'm not even going to say right wingers. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to use that you know hyperbole. I'm just going to stick to. Uh, the the people who are in were not i guess that were not in favor of the national anthem protest and people who are in favor of the pro versus people who were in favor of the protest or indifferent to the protest so that was another thing that always would kill me with the people who would talk about um you weren't in favor of the protest they would say well uh you know these guys they're, they're employees and, you know, would you protest uh, at your job or, you know, you would be fired and, you know, they work for these, for the owners and, and, uh, you know, they, they need to protest on their own time. <laughs> I'd always laughed at that, at that, because it's so disingenuous in the way that it's framed. Let's be honest. Are you working at the post office? Are you making $5 million a year or $4 million a year? Are you bringing, you know, billions of dollars of revenue to the post office? You yourself on your labor? Are you bringing billions of dollars of, 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 of money? Because these players are. That's not how that works. 
There's a reason why these guys get paid the amount of money that they get paid. There, there's a, a certain level. There's a reason why they have a little bit more wiggle room and power or a lot more power than you do working at UPS or working at a, a, a Wawa, working at wherever. The reason is because you don't bring in the revenue that these guys bring in. So that's how economics works. That's how America works. Yeah, these guys are technically, their checks are being signed by the owners. Absolutely. But don't get it twisted. The owners aren't giving these, these guys money out of the kindness of their heart. They're giving these guys money because these are the, the, the genetic freaks. These are guys, you know, six foot three, six foot four, you know, 10% body fat running a four, four, three, not many people that walk the earth are that fast, that big, that fast, that strong. And these, these guys and, and have the discipline and the work ethic to be able to stay disciplined and, um, you know, the football intelligence or the basketball intelligence or whatever sport they may play that in that intelligence to be able to pick things up and you know be able to to adjust to the professional game and and thrive in the professional game when you got other guys who are just as equally big fast and strong as you are that's the way it goes so to compare your your job as well you know well yeah you you're more of a cog in the wheel than they are <laughs> not saying that they can't get replace because unfortunately the NFL I think is the worst when it comes to treating players um they they will discard you as soon as you lose a half a step they'll get rid of you but while you're in your prime it's they they are keeping these guys for a reason because they are the product nobody goes to NFL games to watch the owners we don't go to, to these basketball games to watch owners. We don't go to baseball games to watch general managers and owners and pitching coaches. And we go to see the players. They're the product. As you start screwing around, you want to talk about, oh, NFL ratings and people being offended and certain people not watching and, and all of that. Start messing around with, with players and, and cutting prominent players and getting rid of prominent players and watch the product fall. These people have this idea that, oh, all they're doing is just catching a football. Anybody can do that. And not realizing the fact that, you know, not shit, everybody can throw a punch. That doesn't mean that you're uh, Canelo Alvarez or you're, um, you know, Gennady Golovkin. Or Mike Tyson or Mayweather, they do it better than just about everybody on the planet. That's why they are the draw that they are. Same thing with these players. So I always thought that that was a ridiculous, um, stupid argument. And it just, it was very disingenuous. And it's just, now you're grasping at straws. For what? But. The NFL, I knew it. And, and fast forward now, you know, we're in the preseason. That internal memo came out 
and this was before the the preseason. This was, um, uh, you know, the um, before training camp. And fast forward now, and you got players that Malcolm Jenkins is raising his arm again, and you have certain players kneeling again, and it becomes a hot button topic because then it becomes like, oh, you you think you own me? Then it becomes a power play. All for what? Why? Why, do, why does it become a power play? Why does it need to become a power play? Instead of the NFL, that, that's vanity. Well, you know, we're the ones. We're bringing in the money. We're the product. We're the shield. Let it be known. Just because, yeah, the NFL compared to any other major league sport, it's less about the stars. It's less about, um, you know, the stars than basketball. It's less about the stars than baseball. I get it. But that doesn't mean that stars don't matter in, uh, in the NFL. And then please, please believe guys like Odell Beckham and guys like, you know, they, they bring extra eyeballs on the product. I think that the NFL, I think that's part of the reason they brought back the national, the, um, the the touchdown celebrations because they're like it, it, it gives more personality to the players to people behind a, a face mask and that way we can you know that's more money for us we can market players we can market jj watt if the, we know if they are able to show more personality on the field we can market an odell beckham we can market an antonio brown so it it's uh where we're at so the overall approach the NFL took was just so stupid and <laughs> short-sighted and you got into a power struggle with a group of guys that are the product but that's what happens when the vast majority of these guys, the, the owners, they're, they're like Trump. All of those guys, older white guys, you know, were, were you know, wealthy for most, of, if not all their lives, become from millionaires to billionaires. And there's a certain level of like vanity, like, oh, oh, you think you, you can do this? Okay, well, I'll show you. That's not smart business, but that's, I guess, what, that's what's worked for them. Will you become arrogant? I don't think it's smart. Getting into a power struggle with the players, I don't think it's smart, to be honest. Being conciliatory, I think that is the... the approach to take but you know conciliatory to people who are in the same vein as a Donald Trump I don't think that that's in their vocabulary that's just me because it's about being a strong man but being a strong man quote unquote a lot of the times in my view is being a dumb man being self-preservation and being intelligent and diplomatic 
a lot of the times is a better approach and using strength in certain key ways and being able to finagle the situation to get what you want out of the situation, which is the most money possible, is the appropriate way. Not trying to bend over backwards just to appease the part of the, the customer base, alienating the other part of the customer base and alienating the product, which is the players. Now, of course, Donald Trump gets on Twitter and he's tweeting up a storm and, oh, well, you know, last year he's calling them son of a bitches and, and, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, using, uh, 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 like authoritarian tactics and talking about NFL players needing to be punished for, for protesting and, you know, disrespecting the flag and disrespecting the troops. And can we just cut the bull? I, I, I know it, it, it's a little bit of a stretch to sit there and call him a fascist, Trump a fascist. You know, you had some people on the left on the campaign trail that they're like, ooh, he kind of sounds like Benito Mussolini or he kind of sounds like Hitler. But can we can we now that we've had two years, not only of the protests, but two years of a sample size of Donald Trump, could we at least come to a conclusion right wingers and, and left wingers or the right wingers? can be impartial enough to acknowledge the fact that Donald Trump has an authoritarian streak to him? Can, can we cut the bullshit? Can we stop with all this freedom talk? Can we, can we please just be honest? Does that sound like a freedom person? Freedom isn't that, well... I believe in something, so I think it should be free. I think people should be able to do what they want to do. That's not freedom. Freedom is even if I disagree, if it's not hurting anybody, physically, then it, more power to you. I thought that's what the, the right-wingers, I thought that's what they liked, right? Freedom of speech. I thought that's what the right wing wingers, that's what, that was their thing, right? Oh, the lefties and college campuses and, oh, they want to shut down right wing thought. What, what is the right wing doing now? What is the, the right, currently the right wing president doing now? He's trying to shut speech down. He's, he's trying to get the NFL to take punitive measures against players who are exercising their First Amendment right. And again, framing it as in like, how dare you? You pampered, spoiled athletes. Never mind the fact that Trump, again, the irony, don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, being born into a wealthy family, being inheriting uh, a lot of wealth. His grandfather, I believe, being uh, from his grandfather to his father, being a real estate tycoons. To, you know, say, oh, these pampered, spoiled athletes when 
the vast majority of these guys that come into the NFL are poor guys. Poor guys who, you know, come from a lot of them from the south. They come from rural areas and they're dirt poor. And working, working themselves, you know, high school, staying disciplined, um, you know, in the classroom and on the field and going through college and going, you know, being of the one percent or the one point five percent of the people or less than one percent of the people that actually get an opportunity to make it to the NFL clawing and scratching. In the true sense of a meritocracy. Coming literal self-made from poverty to wealth through preservation, per, uh, preservation and hard work. I just find it very funny that 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 narrative somehow from a guy that really is the spoiled brat. That's the narrative that he's pushing. But he is. It is what it is. Oh, he's sowing the the seeds of division. I hear people saying that about Trump. And I'm like, well, no shit. That's nothing new. He ain't trying to. He's one of those guys that feels as though, you know, I'm, I'm a strong man. And they, they, he feels as though, you know, forcing people to do things or attempting to force people to do things is the appropriate measure. But unfortunately... What these guys, and there are plenty of dudes out there like him, don't realize is that it's diametrically opposed to what freedom is. Freedom is not what you agree with or what you, what you feel is, is the appropriate measure. Freedom is, okay, I disagree with that, but, I, you know, hey, I believe that, you know, people should have a right to do whatever they want to do as long as they're not physically hurting anybody else. I'm perfectly okay with that. I can't speak about feelings because feelings, that's a very subjective thing. There are a lot of things that people can do or people can say that can hurt somebody's feelings. But, you know, I don't think that that should be, you know, it's too subjective of a thing. Feelings are too subjective of a thing to pass in law. But, you know, this is, could you imagine? You have a, a president, a president in so-called, uh, in a free democracy, talking about, well, the players should be um, punished for voicing their opinions because, you know, you don't disrespect the flag. You don't disrespect the troops. How embarrassing. And you have people that, that support that. Yet, when it comes to guns, it's like, well, anybody gets any guns and no gun, no gun reform, no gun regulation because, well, it's freedom. People, whether you're mentally ill, whether you are, you know, a violent uh, a felon, you should be able to gain access to a weapon because it's freedom. But when it comes to players, things that you disagree with, then all of a sudden it's like, well, we, let's shut it down. How are you any different than the people that you supposedly criticize on the left the college kids quote unquote how are you any different except this is much worse this is why i don't respect or i won't say i don't respect but why you know you have this 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 emergence of like the right wing you know the jordan petersons and the the ben shapiros where they talk all the time about 
oh, well, facts over feelings and and we're all about freedom of speech and and oh, well, the left wants to shut down speech and college campuses and they love to, to and you know, you've had people that have built political careers and have, um, you know, gained large followings and have made a lot of money just off of the fact of, oh, how the left, they're taking away our, our, our freedom of speech. It's, I find it ridiculous. One, I find it, you know, ironic of the, the deafening silence of those people, those on the right, these, polit- these you know, right-wing freedom of speech warriors. The, where are they when it comes to their side, when it, um, st- try, attempting to stifle freedom of speech? Where are the Sean Hannity's? Where are the Tucker Carlson's? Where are the, you know, like denouncing this, right? They're hacks, so whatever. They, you know, that's, they, you know, they're just right-wing hacks. So I, I don't expect much from them. But the mere fact that the president versus a couple college kids who decide, well, I don't want Milo Yiannopoulos speaking at my school because he spreads hatred, which I don't agree anyway. You know, stopping people if, if you know, an organization or a school decides to get Milo Yiannopoulos for a speech, let him speak. My thing is, is that I think I find it much more worse on the, 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 the pecking order when you're talking about the, the president of the United States with power versus a college kid with no power when it comes to trying to attempt to stifle freedom of speech. And this is a guy with precedence. This is a guy that is so, so-called going after the press who has attempted or has spoken about trying to deplatform, uh, you know, newspapers prominent newspapers and, 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 you know, has, um, you know, um, decredentialed newspapers when it came to, you know, uh, meetings. So, you know, you're not invited, you know, New York Times, you're not invited to our, you know, for example, to our, you know, our briefing. Or, you know, I'm not going to answer any questions from the Washington Post or answer any questions from this news publication. I'm only going to answer questions from Breitbart or I'm only going to answer questions from Fox or I'm only going to. It's just how ridiculous is that? Could you imagine if any other president, if if, if Barack Obama, if any other president, it would just it would have been people's heads would have exploded on the right. And it would have led to a further victimization of the right wing. So this guy has an authoritarian streak to him. And it continues on. An authoritarian streak to him. And people, you know, they're, they're, I've seen pictures of people. Daddy Trump wearing shirts, Daddy Trump. <laughs> and I'm just like. Holy shit. You got people on the right that look at this guy as a father figure. He ain't my damn daddy. He's an elected official. He's our, we're his boss. Not the other way around. He ain't our boss. And I always said this. I said, you know, for all the people that, oh, well, you know, he's, uh, 
I see that he, he, I think he'd be a great president because he was a businessman and he, I think he would do great things for the economy because it, um, you know, he, he would be able to transfer those skills over to being president. And I'm like, vastly different ideologies, vastly different jobs, vastly different. The framing of those jobs, I always said that. Never mind the fact that that's ridiculous, you know, running a company of a couple hundred people versus running a company of, you know, or running a, a country with, with hundreds of millions of people, vastly different. You know, you're, you're involved with foreign policy. You're involved with domestic policy. Vastly different than, oh, well, I have a company. I'm a, I'm part, I'm a head of a real estate company. And, you know, I own, you know, a couple brownstones here and an apartment building here. And I own, um, you know, some high rises here. Vastly different. Very, very different. But, you know, people were saying like, oh, well, that that's good. And I'm like, that's bad because he, he was a CEO. I mean, he made his his whole living. Oh, oh, you're fired. That was his thing. You're fired. And it's like when you're the CEO of a company, whenever the CEO says do it, you do it. There is no uh, diplomacy. There is no, uh, you know. Uh, uh, let let's talk about this. Let's you know there is no there is no democracy in in a in a fundamental CEO type setting. You may have shareholders, but for the most part, it's like it it all comes down to you. You you order the people underneath you. The the orders go all the way down, and if you don't do as I tell you, you're fired. That that's how it goes. So, you know, the, this authoritarian streak, I saw it coming even before he sniffed any power in, 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 in the government. So I just find it very funny now, you know, on Twitter, he's, he's talking and you have these right wingers who talk about, who denounce college kids are on Twitter and they're on social media platforms and they're, they're bigging, they're, they're, condoning this are you in favor of freedom of speech or are you not are you in favor of the principle of freedom of speech or are you not do you feel as though people should get uh for the things that they speak that they should they should face uh punishment for the things that they say or for the um the 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 protest they may engage in civil disobedience or not are you in favor or not? Or is it only when it's right wingers and it's Milo and it's, it's other people? Or is it, is, it just, is it just for them or is it for everybody? Let me know. So that was another thing that, you know, I, I noticed. The, you know, of course, you know, many much one of the the many different hypocrisies of Trump and the Trump supporters and the people on the right is that situation in regards to uh, the, the the protests. So another interesting, I think, or you know, interesting to me factor 
that I saw when, when looking at the situation is the complete inability for the conversation to ever go to what the protests, what the players and what the protests were supposed to be about. And I think that the right wing, I've always said this, the right wing are masters at taking a situation and gaslighting the shit out of you. Gaslight. We see this right now on Fox News. How many times, how many segments do we get now? Venezuela, Venezuela, Venezuela. When you have people, prominent people, who are economists and, and, and political scientists that are like, dude, there's a difference between social democracies and full-blown out to totalitarian, dictator, um, dictatorial, uh, uh, communist or high socialist states. And to, to conflate the two, you're, you're either an idiot or you're, you're very vastly uh, non-understanding um, of, of, what, of what it is. You're just a, a dishonest actor in, the, in the, the conversation. Yet, to this day, we, we still get people, you know, doing segments about Venezuela and doing segments about the, the, the Soviet Union. Really? After... You know, and, and whatchamacallit has said this, Bernie Sanders and people who are supporters of him. Social democracy, the UK, France, Germany, Scandinavia, Switzerland, Canada. Do they look like, uh, you know, communist Stalin um, uh, strongholds? No, they don't. Yet, here we are, and we're still having these conversations. Because that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to smear, they're trying to troll, and they're trying to irritate. You know, I'm really not impressed with, with the right as a whole. Because if you want to argue the merits of police brutality, you want to argue the merits of um, criminal justice reform, okay, let's have that conversation. But to sit there and to, to not address the, what the protests are, are you know, to, are um, trying to get at, you know, okay, let's let's address it so that we can get rid of it if it really offends me as much as I say it offends me. So what are they talking about so we can, you know, we can figure out what we can do, whether we agree or disagree, having the conversation so that this can go away. Instead, it, it just stayed at first gear. Oh, well, I don't think it's appropriate. Well, yeah, no shit. That that's what a protest is. What, I mean, what the fuck? I mean, you know, there there's no there's no pro. What what protest do you see where somebody's doing something with nobody uh, seeing it 
And like, it's just, you know, you're doing it in the privacy of your own home. I've heard uh, right wingers on Fox News talk about that. Well, you know, Kaepernick could have just uh, protested in his backyard. What? That's not a protest. <laughs> That's not a protest. A protest is supposed to gain awareness and gaining awareness is not you uh, sitting in your backyard. That's not a protest. A protest is lighting a flag on fire. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, sitting at a lunch counter when it, 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 it's illegal for you to sit at that lunch counter. And, you know, you're essentially breaking the law. And you being arrested, that's a protest. Could you imagine if, you know, and I'm sure you had, you know, these silly ass uh, white right wingers that were, oh, well, why can't these people, uh, you know, it's not that they're protesting. Why couldn't these people just protest in their own, you know, house? <laughs> it's like, uh, because we're actually protesting uh, you know, the, this is the civil rights movement and we're protesting segregation. Well, what good is seg me protesting segregation if I'm uh, freaking, pro you know, sitting at my own house doing what? Protests are supposed to, you know, uh, make people uncomfortable. That's what a protest is. They were breaking the law in the during the civil rights movement. But when we look back on it, we look back with with um, nostalgia, well, not nostalgia, but we just we look back and we're like, yeah, they were right. So that's ridiculous. Then you have people that are like, well, you know, you don't disrespect the flag and disrespect the troops. And again, if one, if someone's telling you that's not what it's about, then that's not what it's about. Two, I love how the troops and police officers embody America, but other Americans, including black Americans, don't embody America. That, you know, I mean, troops. OK, that's great. That's a sacrifice. That's awesome. But that doesn't make you a better, a quote unquote, better American than other people that decide to not serve in the military. Their lives, you know, and, and, and I use it metaphorically because I'm going to get to why it's metaphorically in a second, but metaphorically, their lives don't matter more than and regular American, American citizens' lives. Black Americans who live in the, in, in the in urban spaces, their lives, you know, don't matter more, right? Metaphorically, because... I'm going to say, I'm going to get to it. We don't give a shit about the troops. We, we as a society, we don't care about the troops. We have upwards of 50,000, if not more, uh, homeless troops in the country as we speak right now. We don't give a shit about the troops. We have a lot of uh, veterans that come home and they're, F, they're messed up, they're PTSD, and they have physical ailments. They can't find work. They're homeless. They, they don't have the appropriate treatment. And, you know, we, we saw this after Vietnam. We saw we're, we're seeing this now. We saw it after Desert Storm. This, this is what happens. So, yeah, we, we don't give a shit about the troops. It's just convenient. It's low hanging fruit and it's dishonest.
And that's what's aggravating about it. But it's, you know, the, the fact of, well, you know, we're going to use the troops and we're going to use, you know, as some sort of morality, a moral, um, you know, uh, some sort of moral standing is complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. You're, you're, who are you play? Well, I can't even say who you're placating. You're just placating people. Because if you really cared about the troops, we would, you would be an advocate for funding and, and, and increase funding and lobbying the government to take better care of the troops. And hey, let's not invade this next country and put more young people, uh, their lives at risk. Instead of, you know, just blindly following and being a nationalist and clapping your hands and, oh, God bless the troops. How about, you know, going to the government and, and, and voting people in who are anti-war and holding our politicians accountable and how many more conflicts, you know, going to the government, how many more conflicts are we going to get into? If, if you vote for another conflict or, you know, you, you voted for this conflict, you voted for that conflict, we're getting you the hell out of here. You're continuing bombing in Syria. You're continuing the bombing in Libya. You're continuing the, you know, the, the you know, whoa, you know, you, you got uh, troops on the ground in Iraq. You got troops on the ground in Afghanistan. What are we doing there? What's the objective? What, what, what is the tangible object objective? Not freedom or some sort of abstract idea. What's the tangible gain? So I sit there and I'm like, if you cared that much about the troops, you would be asking those questions. But you don't give a shit because you're still willing to let these people go out thousands of miles away from their family to get killed off of what? To line a bunch of rich people's pockets? You don't care. You don't think about it. It's another way for right-wingers. It's another way for white folks to not talk about the difficult topics, to not address the difficult topics. It, it's a historical precedence over and over again. This happens. You know, when it comes to addressing situations, it, the situation morphs into another situation that it had nothing to do with initially. And the, the conversation gets muddied. That's another right wing tactic. They muddy the conversation. You know, so then the conversation morphs. Now it's like, well, it's not a disrespecting the flag. Yeah, it is disrespecting the flag. No, it's not disrespecting the flag. Yeah, it is disrespecting the flag. Well, you're disrespecting the troops. Well, it's not disrespecting the troops. As opposed to it being about, okay, police brutality, criminal justice. What are we doing? What, what's the end game? Well, are, what's the accountability factor? Right? All legitimate questions, questions that on the national stage, I didn't see much, if not any of. It became about the troops. It became about the flag. And, and you know, another thing, you know, the whole troops and the flag thing. When, when did we become North Korea as a country? When did we become World War II era Japan? 
I, I thought nationalism, I, and thank God, I thought nationalism died after World War II. But apparently, nationalism is, I mean, you know, I'm a fool. Nationalism is, is high. But it's high when it's nationalism, nationalism is high and it, it's only convenient for certain people. That's some North Korea shit. The flag is a symbol. The flag is not meant to be praised and like, like it's God incarnate. I praise the other, I praise American citizens. That's where my loyalty lies. My loyalty lies to, it doesn't lie to the flag. My loyalty lies to the American people. So when I advocate for universal health care, when I advocate for funded college, when I advocate for things that that, you know, a, a new deal, building roads and fixing bridges and rebuilding neighborhoods, a strong social safety net. That's me caring about the American people. That's me caring about my fellow countrymen, even when I'm doing OK. And I'm not, I don't need social safety programs. I don't need me personally. I don't need, uh, you know, I have my own insurance. But still, I think it's, it, every American deserves it. it. Taxes should fund all of that. So you have the people screaming from the rooftops about the flag, the flag and patriotism, yet don't follow through with uh, you know, making sure that their fellow countrymen or don't believe that their fellow countrymen should be okay and should be able to live a halfway decent life. But, you know, God forbid, oh, you know, the symbolism and the symbolism. We have 25% of the, the, um, the world's prisoners. We are the most incarcerated nation in the, in the world. Yet you have the audacity and the nerve to talk about flag and the freedom and what it represents. And we have a long way to go. I don't give a shit what it represents. If, if, if that's what it represents, we're not represent. We're the flag and we're, what we're doing as a society is, is incongruent. It's garbage. It's not true. So I, I sit there. And I'm like, those are just such disingenuous arguments. Flag is an inanimate object. It's how we treat each other as a, as a country. What policies we institute as a country that look after the, the people, look after the troops, not the symbolism, and you do nothing. But it's a diversion tactic. It's a diversion tactic. You know, oh, black lives matter. Oh, blue lives matter. What, what the hell does that even mean? Or all lives matter. These are diversion tactics to try to not have the conversation that is really at hand. Right. Another thing that I saw, <laughs> another argument, you saw a lot of police officers that were pissed off. Ah, oh, we're pissed off. You know, the, the national anthem protest and all of these activist groups were pissed off. 
Now, this is what I don't understand, right? The police are American citizens. They, in theory, don't, should not have more rights than your average citizen. There is a reason why there is a constitution put into place. There's a reason. Police officers, that's your job. Just like me. Look at my job. I'm a mental health, I'm a clinician in an emergency room, in a crisis unit. I deal with people, extremely mentally ill people every single day. Violent, some, some of them violent, some of them, you know, severely psychotic. I don't expect a medal. I'm doing my job. Is it a hard job? Yeah, it's a hard job. But, you know, it's not a, you know, would I like more recognition? Yeah. Outside of when there's a mass shooting and, you know, then the right wing wingers want to bring up mental health. And but then, you know, when it when it dies down, then all of the talk of mental health and mental health funding and all of that goes by the wayside. Would I like mental health to be more of a, of a conversation in the public and what we do to be valued more? Absolutely. But cops are pretty much well-respected for the most part. They're more respected than mental health professionals. And we do a lot of good for the community. <laughs> there are a lot of people walking amongst you that are very mentally ill and we, we treat them. And you wouldn't even know. So, you know, we're, we're attempting to make society a better place. You know, but I never understood. You know, when people are talking about police accountability or police transparency, I never understood why a regular schmegular police officer would, would get offended by that. The same way that if someone said, well, you know, I don't believe that clinicians or, you know, mental health professionals should be able, I think there should be more transparency between them and the patients or the clients. I think that, you know, they need to, um, you know, if they, you know, do something wrong and they, they go against protocol that they should have face some sort of consequence. Um, I don't think that, oh, you're attacking mental health professionals. Like what the, f I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, how critical are we of other professions? The right wingers love attacking teachers. Oh, you know, tenure and they're lazy and these teachers don't know how to teach. And how many of these right winger politicians and these right wing, oh, you know, we're going to add these benchmarks in and we're going to add these benchmarks because these teachers are lazy and they're doing this and they're not doing that. And could you imagine teachers are just as important as police officers and within society? Yet they, you know, you don't have teachers as a whole sitting up there and, oh, you know, we, you, you know, I'm pissed off about, you know, you're, you're criticizing teachers and, you know, you don't see a bunch of teachers up in arms, but you see police officers. Oh, well, you know, let's see, let's see somebody do security. Let's see someone else do security because we're not doing security for the games. You sound like an infant. But again, I think a lot of it falls into 
Uh, if I had to like go by profession as far as who voted for Trump, I would say a lot more most police officers, a lot of police officers around the country voted for Trump. It's that mentality. It's like this infantile, like, you know, hmm, like you, you hurt my feeling or you, you criticize me. So you know what? Fuck you. It's like, I, that's your profession. That's your job. You know, I mean, I get it. Some people look at their job as their, as their identity or part of their identity. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's not a personal attack against you. And, you know, for those people, they're part of the problem and why, why we need to have this conversation in the first place. So it really is a, an interesting situation when you look at it. You have so many different, I guess, now I would say like viewpoints that ended up coming out and none of it having to do with, with police brutality and criminal justice and, and police accountability and, and what can we do to solve the problem? All of that and, and the conversation and, you know, where we're at, we're nowhere near getting where we need to get to. And it's, it's, just a, it's just a sad shame. So I just, I just, I find it hilarious that, you know, you factor in, I'm not saying that things are going to happen overnight, but, you know, I mean, the conversation was brought up and one would argue that the conversation never really got started. <laughs> the conversation kind of stayed in first gear. And it became about a flag. It became about, well, should players have a voice? Should, you know, athletes? And another talking point you, you heard, uh, I forgot to mention before I wrap up, is the, um, you know, I heard some of the Fox News pundits talking about, well, they're, they're football players. You know, they shut up and play football. What do you know about blah, blah, blah? Right? Yeah, you're just a rich, pampered kid. What do you know about this? Or what do you know about that? And I'm like, first of all, a lot of these guys, like I said, did not grow up rich. A lot, most of those guys, mainly the black ones, grew up poor. Not middle class, but poor. Like Terrell Owens and Ray Lewis and Shannon Sharp. And they talk about it. They come from like the rural South, Alabama, Mississippi, like dirt poor. And, you know, you don't think that they've encountered or, you know, seen friends and been racially profiled and have seen friends that have been racially profiled and experience that, you know, within their family, experience that within their community. You don't think that that's, they've seen that or that they've, um, that they've experienced that themselves. So you think that these, these guys 
really grew up as kids, you know, living in mansions and, and, you know, it's just interesting. And plus, I mean, how many times, I mean, you, you have prominent black folks that get harassed by the cops in their own neighborhood, get cops called on them in their own neighborhood. And these are affluent neighborhoods. So just because you're, you know, even of color and you're rich or wealthy doesn't mean that you still don't experience police misconduct and, and, and uh, profiling. Right? So then you hear, you know, again, like I said, people are, oh, well, you know, shut up and play football. I find that very funny. When it's a right winger celebrity or a right winger athlete or a right wing and they you know, they have on Fox News, they have, you know, prominent right wing entertainers that come on their their show. Then it's it's oh, <laughs> let's let's make fun of the libs. It ain't shut up and act. Shut up and sing. Shut up and dance. It's, oh, let's make fun of the libs and the libtards. But then as soon as someone who has a differing opinion to you speaks up, then it's, ah, shut up and dribble. Ah, shut up and, and catch a football. Ah, shut up and sing. Ah, shut up and act. Ah, stop pushing an agenda. Ah, liberal Hollywood. Never minding the fact that, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I don't remember any Democratic presidents being um, actors, prominent actors in Hollywood. But I remember Ronald Reagan. St. Reagan, the, the, what the Republicans called him. He was a prom, he was an actor in Hollywood. Arnold Schwarzenegger, an actor in Hollywood. He was a Republican governor in California. You know, these people are ridiculous. They're, hip, they're hip, hypocritical. Just because you, you, you know, play football doesn't mean that your opinion, you can't have an opinion on a situation. Or you act or you sing. I find that hilarious. Why? Because, well, you have a far reach. So you should shut the hell up. That makes no sense. You got people bagging groceries with opinions. So they should shut the hell up? Well, you just bag groceries. You should shut the hell up. You can say that just about anybody. You know, you sound like an author, author, authoritarian jerk. Easy for me to say, an authoritarian jerk. You know, you can say that just about anybody who is not in the government. But that's not how democracy works. It's freedom of speech. Anybody's willing to say whatever they want. Instead of debating them on the merit of what they're saying, you're debating them on the fact that, oh, you know, look at you. You're just a you're dumb old jock. Well, that's an inhominem, and you sound like a moron. You know, you yourself sound like a moron as you're trying to call them a moron. Because, you know, if they're such a dumb old jock, then debate them on the merit of what they're saying. Don't debate, don't debate them on, on the fact that, well, they shouldn't even be talking to begin with. 
Because then, you know, you sound just as much of a jackass as what you're alleging them to sound like. So, in the wake of Kaepernick, in the wake of the National Anthem protests, fast forward two years later, and we still are in the same place in society as we've always been, and that's nowhere. <laughs>